A lifeguard shortage is affecting public pools across the country. The problem of child sex abuse in the Boy Scouts of America. This extremely tight-knit community shattered by gun violence. I don't want another young gymnast, Olympic athlete, or any individual to experience the horror that I and hundreds of others have endured. Closing pools nationwide is causing some unexpected people to step up. Hi, welcome to Staffing Safety and Society. I'm Kevin Trapani. And I'm Paige Bagwell. And we are delighted to have you here for the first episode of our podcast. Uh, Paige, we are going to talk about all manner of things here, but I think it centers on kind of the issues of the day and specifically the issues of the day as they relate to keeping people safe at youth serving community organizations. Is that be good if that was your intent too, that would bring us together. I think that is, Kevin. I think we're I think we're on the same page here. But yeah, I think that's what what's what we're trying to do every day, right? I mean, that is our company. We are looking at how uh, what data shows us to change behaviors. And that those behaviors are bad behaviors, right? We don't want any child to be sexually abused. We don't want anybody to drown in a pool. And so we spend our day every day at Redwoods and our work concentrating on those things. But the, at the end of it, it's all about creating safe communities for everyone, no matter what they're doing. And so I'm happy to be talking about it today. So pretty authentic. That's what we've been doing for 25 years. And now right. we're doing it uh, on a podcast. This being our first episode, we thank all the folks who are listening in. Uh, tell your friends we're supposed to say that. Yes. Okay. So feels to me like you can't talk about the issues of the day today when we're recording this first episode without talking about the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. I know. Yeah. Paige, I know you've been watching the news and reflecting over the last 24 hours. What What are your takeaways? You know, I, yeah, I was talking to my, I have two daughters talking to them, they're younger and explaining to them what it must have been like for her when she took over the crown. I mean, she was in a man's world when you consider leadership around um, this earth. And so that she embraced it. She um, was vulnerable in it. And, you know, what a true testament of what a woman leader can be through, gosh, decades of stability and grace and kindness. And she was a people queen, right? She, she shook the hands. She wore the bright color so people could see her. And I just, um, you know, I'm trying to teach my daughters of how you do that in their own world of being someone that stands out with that grace and that leadership. And so it's a loss to um, the United Kingdom, of course, but it is a loss to the entire world because of what she stood for, especially for women and how she raised a family and created her own leadership style in the process. Well, you know, I've said to you many times that I think uh, Lila, who's in high school and Molly, who's in middle school, have a great uh, leadership model and their own mom. Mm. Um, but it's great that you discuss that with them. How'd they respond? Oh, yeah. I mean, because, you know, you're trying to explain to them just how the royal family works in general, but then to then to understand, gosh, yes, I understand like 1950s. That's a totally different world to say now I am going to lead countries through this. And quite honestly, I think with what we're talking about today, Kevin, I'd love to get your thoughts. She created a sense of safety for people, right? She was that stable leadership that didn't waver. And so how important was it for you to be looking at all these news reports and things? Yeah, you know, uh, obviously I was in London earlier part of this week. And uh, over the last week, I had the opportunity with a really small group of people to witness something that not many citizens get to witness. And something called the Ceremony of the Keys. Mm. It's at the Tower of London. It's at 10 o'clock every single night. And, um, and it has happened every night at the same time for 700 years. Wow. Now, we have a 
flawed sense of history here in the United States. They haven't done anything for 700 years. But these folks uh, inside the Tower of London have done the ceremony of the keys 700 years. They lock up the tower and they bring the keys back to the central part of the tower. And a guard steps forward in an aggressive posture and says, who goes? And the other guy says, the keys. And he says, whose keys? And the guy says, the queen's keys. And then they walk up and present it to the guy who's in charge of all the security detail for the tower. And literally every single night, with the exception of one night, uh, one night during the blitz, bombs were landing all over the tower and a bomb landed close and knocked everybody off their feet. No one was killed, fortunately. It took them about 45 minutes to kind of get the rubble cleared away and they finished the ceremony of the keys. They wrote to the king the next morning to report that um, the ceremony of the keys had been delayed by 45 minutes, but that no one had been hurt and uh, no one had died, but some had been hurt. The, the king wrote back and said, um, glad to hear that no one was fatally injured, uh, but as to the 45 minutes, never let it happen again. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, you know, we talk about Brits and history and stiff upper lip um, and the arc, the long arc of history uh, that creates safety for people. Those kinds of ceremonies and routines create safety for people. And then you think about Queen Elizabeth, you know, Paige, the first prime minister she met with was Winston Churchill. Right. He was born in 1874. And the last prime minister she met with, Liz Truss, who she just asked to form a government on Tuesday of this week, was born in 1974. That's amazing. 100-year arc of history. And so, yes, grace, dignity, but a lifelong commitment to the work. Right. A lifelong commitment to making people feel safe. And um, I think that's really powerful. And it really leads us to, I think, in a way to our conversation today. Right at Redwoods, Redwoods has been over 25 years that we've been working. We started by saying we're going to keep kids from being touched inappropriately, and that mission has expanded. But today we face some threats, and we have faced threats before to the safety of, of people in our care. And so the very uh, title of this podcast is Staffing, Safety, and Society. Can you talk a little bit about why those three words specifically? Absolutely. I think we we're in a post pandemic world too. And so how we've looked at, when you think of the arc of history, we've, <laughs> there's been a new type of history, just even in what we've been faced with over these last couple of years. And I think in a time where our employment numbers are good, meaning we have a lot of people that are, in, that are employed It's back to, I mean, when you think of 2020 and what that did to our employment cycle, yeah. um, it threw everyone for a loop, but we are back into having really good employment numbers but we are also back into a staffing crisis, meaning people are having a hard time finding the people to do the work. And so when you think of our work and youth serving organizations, you need great qualified trained people to look after families and communities. That's what you're asking them to do. You're asking them to keep eyes on a pool, to watch a childcare room, lead people in instruction and teaching. And that's, you've got to find good people to do that. And so what we have seen is because of this staffing shortage that we have a lot of industries, youth serving industries included, that are having a hard time finding that staff. And so what that means is when you don't have the good staff, you're ha you have inadequate um, supervision of programs, meaning you don't have the people to teach the right way to do things. And so things accidents are happening. 
there's a, they're inadequately trained, meaning you're, you're hiring people and expecting them in 30 days to know this job and to move on when they need to be constantly trained about what are you looking for when you're talking about an aquatics program? What are you looking for as far as behaviors and, and staffing in a, a childcare program? You're also inadequately supervised, meaning you don't have the managers to watch those that are constantly needing to be trained, constantly need to be needing to be supervised. And so it creates this rub of, hey, if you don't have the right people, then safety can be compromised. Mm -hmm. If you don't have the right managers to watch those people, then safety can be uh, compromised. So what we know is a lot of people have great policies, right? Great policies they are written down. They're in manuals. They're hanging on the right hook in the room, but then their actual practices don't match those protocols. Meaning we say we do this every single time, but then you can walk on a pool deck, for example, and and see that you've got lifeguards that have never had in-service training. But that's what you say that you do. You say you do that once a month or twice a month. Um, and so having practices not matching that protocol creates that, that safety barrier where pe- things aren't happening like they should. So Paige, let me pause there for a sec, because one of the things people might might ask, like, how do you know that? Like, how, how do we know that the practices don't match the protocols? And just, just talk for a second about what we're doing at Redwoods that helps us to feel like when we say we're not operating the way we should, what's the basis on which we make those claims? Right. I mean, so we ask, how do you know a lot at Redwoods? Because that is the, that's where like the rubber meets the road is when those practices and protocols don't align. And so when we have our consultants go out or when we have our claims person pick up, you know, haven't taking a phone call that says we had a drowning today and this is what happened. So it gives us that those claims give us the data we need to say how things were handled, um, what it looked like, what the lifeguard was actually sitting, what they were seeing. Was there a glare in the pool? Did they have enough lanes open or closed based on what those things are? So all that data, yeah. data kind of feeds into that, as well as we have consultants to go out there and look at it. They yeah. actually walk the pool deck. And so that's where we kind of say that's that's where we can say, hey, red flag, this doesn't look like you say this happens, but we're here looking at it with you and it's it's not happening. Right. It's just not ivory tower stuff. And I think you said to me the other day, I think we've in the last three months we've visited like 60 customers and had like 60 or 75 virtual visits and like 300 uh, kind of catch up conversations. So we're all over pool decks and, and camps and that kind of stuff. It's not us making this stuff up. I, I just want to make sure that listeners kind of heard that we don't want to see this stuff. We're just reporting what we are seeing. Yeah. And, and what we're seeing is that safety is being compromised. And yeah. what we've seen is that when we talk to our organizations about that, what we're hearing is I just don't have the staff. Like, a, you know, this person, I, I couldn't keep them longer than 60 days. I, something else came up and, you know, they've moved on or there's a lot of, you know, transferring over here or leaving these jobs. And so that's, we're starting to see that trend. I shouldn't even say starting. We are seeing a trend, right? Mm-hmm. Staffing is affecting safety in our organizations. Um, and so that's really important for our listeners to know is like, that's the data that we're kind of surrounding ourselves with, but it's also our eyes on, you know, in the moment of looking at seeing what's happening. And then Kevin, I think is what we're talking about today around society. We, we are a society, us included, that have high expectations. We have expectations around safety that we send our kids to school and that they will be safe. We send our kids to camp and that they will be safe and that we are counting on these people to lead us through that when I say people, that's the staff. We're counting on them to keeping our kids safe. Um, but we also live in a world where you've got um, the Me Too movement. You've got the stories around Larry Nasser. 
um, Harvey Weinstein, you've got the stories where people say, wait a second, I, I thought we were safe. All of these things are starting to come out, which is right. It should come out. We should know what our realities are. But it also means our expectations are being questioned. Like, wait a second, I thought I thought, I thought they were safe and what's happened here. Yeah. So it really affects institutional trust, right? I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because people are having a voice for the first time in decades in Mm -hmm. years around their own safety. And so that puts us all a little bit at, at, at an uneasy spot to say, wait a second, is this happening where I, where I don't even know that it's happening. And so society's in a different place. I'll make, Kevin, do you want to talk about kind of the plainness bar and what how the legal environment kind of affects this moment? Yeah, I, I think you made exactly the right point. Victims have a voice, which is great. It's all the way it should be. Um, but boy, there's a plaintiff's bar that is there ready and waiting. And um, and youth serving organizations, nonprofit, especially youth serving organizations, used to be a sympathetic defendant. But now they're loaded up with an awful lot of liability limits, and they are a target of the plaintiff's bar. Um, and we've had, as you know, lots and lots of, of plaintiff's attorneys say to us, hey, listen, uh, I, I'm just going to make my demand at the limits of whatever coverage you have. It used to be it's going to be you know five times whatever the medical expenses were. Now the anchor is what the limits are of the policy. And so the value of each of these cases has gone up dramatically. In fact, one piece of data that um, we learned not too long ago that was really powerful to me, always, uh, as long as I can remember anyway, about two thirds to three quarters of our incidents of abuse have been peer-to-peer abuse. But only about 10, 15% of our lost dollars have been attributable to peer to peer abuse. Mm-hmm. Today, there's still, you know, 70% or thereabouts of all of our incidents, but it's about half of what we're spending dollar wise. And so that's a really good example of how society just punishes bad behavior today in a way that it just didn't some years ago. That's right. So when you think of that institutional trust that is low and expectations still being high, the expectation is. If you if you can't keep them safe, then I have expectations of what that's going to look like to keep me whole in that yeah. moment. And so it's yeah. changed. You bet. So somewhere there's a CEO uh, in a, you know driving in her car right now, listening to our podcast. Hey, how you doing? Drive carefully, right? Um, and, and what they're thinking themselves is, yep, I've heard all this stuff. It's a big deal. I appreciate hearing it again. What do you want me to do? Like, what what should I do? And and I do want us to cover a couple of three things that you know that maybe they should do differently. And and um, and I'll start with one um, that may, be, may go without saying, and, and it is this, people pay attention to what you pay attention to, right? And so we're in a place where you're trying to help your organization recover from the revenue challenges of the pandemic. And, um, and so you're paying attention to board development and fundraising and community engagement. Those are all crucial things. Thank you very much for doing the work you're doing. It's thankless and, uh, and really important. But you got to ask yourself, when's the last time you're in the pool deck? When's the last time you walked through the camp? When's the last time you were in your after-school sites? People pay attention to where you spend your time. And so I would immediately begin to make sure that part of my schedule every single day is getting out into your operations. Oh, that's a great point, Kevin. I'll quote one of your favorite movies, Remember the Titans. Attitude reflects leadership, right? And so if you're not on that pool pool deck, it means it's not important to you. And if it's not important to you as a CEO, then why should it be important to me that's working there every single day? And so, but being seen and being present um, is a, is a huge game changer for what we've been talking about. Yeah. I know Paige, you talk all the time also in terms of how people should spend their time. Um, Hiring challenges aren't the first time we have the opportunity to get good people on staff. We got to build a pipeline in order to be able to then have access to good people. You want to talk a little bit about pipeline development? 
Absolutely. Cause we have to get creative now. If you've got, if you've got a shortened pipeline, then you've got to get creative on how you broaden that. And so stop looking in the same places, right? What are, look in your community? Where do you see the stars, right? So think of senior adults and where are they at and how do they want to be involved in the community? Look at the colleges, the community colleges, how do they want to be involved? Um, look at your high schools. They have tons of new programs now that are coming out um, with how to develop leadership skills. And so you have to um, advertise for these people anymore. We were talking about this just in our own industry recently, Kevin, is it's no longer of um, they're selling themselves to you. You have to sell who you are to these candidates to say, this is what you learn from working with us. You can learn leadership skills. You can learn you know, time management and managing other people. You can learn hard decision-making. You can hear EMT skills, right? You talk about lifeguard skills and all those things. And so there is a broad range of ways to look at it differently to say, this isn't just a camp counselor job. This isn't just a summer lifeguard job. This is a place where you can start to develop the leadership skills that you're going to use in whatever career you decide. And good news, the Y or Boys and Girls Clubs fill in the blank youth serving organization has a great career path for some of these things, but it's also a really great place to start that leadership. Yep. You bet. And and I'll add one, uh, maybe a third thing here. And that is that um, I, I think we do a pretty good job of helping people measure, you know, membership program participation, how many kids are in the building, what's my enrollment look like and all that kind of stuff. It's less clear to me that we put safety as one of the measurable metrics um, that has to do with how we uh, measure performance. And that's a board issue. I'm not sure our boards pay attention to safety the way they should. And it's a, uh, it's an issue in terms of our branch execs and all that kind of stuff. And so it does feel to me like, um, if we spend our time differently as leaders and we develop a really good pipeline from which to hire great people and, and get them on career paths, as you said, and we make that a really clear part of everybody's expectations, those would you agree those are three kind of oh, good places absolutely. to start? Every leadership role should have a safety component as far as performance. You and I should, right? About how we look at that for the safety of the people that we are responsible for. And so I think that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, All right. Well, we have covered pretty important stuff. We could go on forever, but then nobody will come back for episode number two. I know. We can't bore you yet. (laughs) (laughs) So we want to get to the place here where we close strong. And so uh, you and I both love uh, Hamilton. And one of the songs I love from Hamilton is I'm not throwing away my shot. Um, And so we've got another 30 seconds or so with everybody. Don't throw away your shot. So what's what's your final shot here? My final shot would be be present. We talked about that a little bit. And that's not just about being present um, on a pool deck, but it's about as a leader, taking that moment to say, who needs me? How do they need me? Why do they need me? And being present in what those answers are. Oh, I love that. I love that. Uh, For mine, I'm going to take my last shot as well. I'm going to go all the way back to the conversation about the queen, Mm -hmm. uh, because one of the things that had been less clear to me until all the conversations last 24 hours is that the queen took over the British empire and was intentional over these last 70 years, intentional to take it from, in many ways, the brutal British empire Mm -hmm. to the Commonwealth, not the British Commonwealth, but the Commonwealth. And that's the intentionality of a lifetime. And so that's what you and I are engaged in. And that's what all the people listening to this podcast are engaged in a lifetime worth of work to create communities that are safe for all. I love it. Until next time, Kevin. You bet. I love it. 
Thank you very much, um, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Paige, for the conversation, and we'll talk again soon. Sounds good.